Well, hello, friends. My name is Marion Royston, and I serve as clergy in the Northeast District of the North Alabama Conference. And you are listening to this week's episode of the Read Together podcast. And friends, this is the week. This is the week where if you're like me, or if you're accustomed to reading a Bible in a year plan, maybe this isn't your first rodeo with the Read Together program, then you know that this is the week where we need a pep talk. Because this is the week where the riveting narrative that we've been following since Genesis is about to break at the end of Exodus, when the glorious presence of the Lord fills the tabernacle. And then Leviticus begins. And this is where our pep talk comes in, because I know, trust me, trust me, I know. But friends, we will not be those people. We will persevere, although you will feel the temptation to disengage and to check out from the reading. I encourage you to dig in. I encourage you to read with curiosity and wonder and to reflect on what this book has to say about the high calling of holiness. What does it have to say about the high cost of sin? And what does it mean for God to make a way for the people of God to be in the divine presence? Now, to give us the, the big picture of what's happening in all of our reading this week, remember the pep talk, friends, remember it. This week's reading will begin at Exodus 34. And so previously, if you'll recall, the Israelites messed up and they messed up in a major way. Although this whole time throughout the Exodus narrative, they have been grumbling and fumbling and bumbling their way through the wilderness journey. Um, But the the golden calf incident was something different. It incited some serious divine anger. As a matter of fact, it truly could have been the end of their story. But Moses interceded and, and God gave the Israelites a second chance. And so by this point, the covenant has been renewed or it's being renewed in Exodus 34 terms are laid out and Moses comes down from the mountain with a shining face and he puts on his veil so he doesn't upset anybody. And then he gathers the Israelite community to tell them what's about to happen next. And so what happens is that from the end of, from Exodus 35, all the way until the end of Exodus, we hear about Israel's obedience to God's instructions and to the covenant as they prepare and then construct this tent of meeting that will house the divine presence, this tabernacle that will go with them. And so they gather the materials and the workers, and they diligently follow these very specific instructions and craft the tabernacle. And then at the end of Exodus and Exodus 40, we see the presence of God enter that dwelling. Then we move into Leviticus, which is all about how a holy God can dwell among people who are less than holy. And so we get all these instructions that seem quite confusing to our contemporary sensibilities, but all of these priestly instructions that we're reading are given so that the people can have the ability to be in the divine presence or the priests. And so we see this high standard of holiness. 
And we see the the cost of sin that's laid out and all the things that have to be done for atonement. And we see these regulations and we see that God is committed to being among the people. So that's kind of the big picture of, of everything that we're reading this week as far as Exodus and Leviticus texts go. But I want to back up into toward the beginning of our reading and focus our attention on three verses that are placed right before we get the story of the Israelites beginning the process of building this holy dwelling place. So I'll be reading for our hearing today, Exodus 35 verses 1 through 3, and I am reading out of the Common English Bible. And it reads as follows, Moses gathered together the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Do your work for six days, but the seventh day should be holy to you, a Sabbath of complete rest for the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath will be put to death. Don't start a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) What an interesting place in our text to put a discussion of the Sabbath. Right before we get this big sequence of work, right before this big act of obedience and building this holy dwelling place, Moses reiterates God's commandment about Sabbath. Fascinating. And it may seem puzzling at first, but but it's actually of great importance, and we really need to pay attention to what is happening here. Sabbath, you see, is translated from the Hebrew, translated from Hebrew, it means to stop or to rest. To Sabbath means that for one day every week that the entire community would stop and put their fate completely in God's hands. Our text here says, don't even start a fire in your home that day. That means that not only were the Israelites to cease from doing the work that would make them a living, the work perhaps that they did outside of their homes, but they were also to do no household work either. It was a day of complete rest, and it happened every seven days. Got crops in the field? Well, on the seventh day, you leave those things alone. Stop. Rest and totally depend on God. That's Sabbath. Sabbath was radical then, and and you best believe that Sabbath is radical now. You see, the Sabbath called the Israelites to a rhythm of life that constantly reminded them that they were dependent on God, that they were to trust God with everything, including themselves. This rhythm, this practice of Sabbath, as you can imagine, was formative for the people. It was this ultimate act of obedience in a world that required work to survive. So before the Israelites were to begin their acts of obedience that required this hard construction work, Moses reminds them from the beginning that to offer their lives and their fate to God by stopping everything once a week is truly the ultimate act of obedience. And to fall away from this rhythm, he warns them, is to die. And so now the question turns to us today. Do we have a practice of Sabbath? 
Are we practicing Sabbath? Do we have a regular day where we stop, rest, and trust that God is going to take care of things as we do those things? A day where we cease all things related to work, whether it's our paid work or whether it's our unpaid work that we do around the house. You know, you'd think that we'd all enthusiastically raise our hands and sign up for this practice. But in my experience, a lot of us struggle to Sabbath, and I include myself in that number. And in our modern, hyper-connected world, it's no wonder that it's hard for us to stop and rest and trust God, because there's always something happening that requires our attention. There's always another email to answer. There's always another phone call to return. There's always a load of laundry to do. There's always an errand to run. And there's always somebody who needs something of us. And so over time, what happens without the rhythm of Sabbath is that our systems become wired to the rhythms of compulsive and oftentimes anxious work, anxious doing. And so rather than joyfully rest when we have the opportunity to, we'll actually anxiously rest, worrying about all that stuff we're not doing, worrying that we've forgotten something or somebody, worrying that somehow the earth will stop spinning correctly if we're not up and running. But through the practice of Sabbath, God invites us into a way that is not compulsive and anxious. God invites us to delight in divine presence and be rewired and reoriented toward the love of God, to enjoy creation around us, to define ourselves not by what we do, but rather to rest in our identity as beloved children of God. Perhaps you find that you struggle with the practice of Sabbath. Maybe it creates anxiety in you and you have this voice in your head that's saying, do nothing for for a whole day, every seven days. Yeah, no, no. I, I understand that. Trust me. Trust me, I do. But also consider how much more fully we could show up for all the beautiful and wonderful and sometimes grueling and tedious activities of our lives if our reservoirs were filled from regular Sabbath rest, a day in which we enjoy the presence of God. Think of it this way. It's the difference in talking on the phone with or texting a good friend versus every day you get to spend an extended time, amount of time with them in their presence without having to hurry off and do something else. Or, or maybe you could think of it this way. If you grew up in one of those families that had the practice of a Sunday dinner, where every day, once a week, everyone got together and feasted and enjoyed each other's company without hurry, without worrying about something else, just being together. That's what Sabbath is like. That's what your time with God on Sabbath is like. It's an unhurried time in the presence of God. And Sabbath is a spiritual practice for everyone. 
all of us. And it's a commandment that is given for our benefit. It is a gift. If you're listening today and you practice Sabbath, I'm I'm sure you have a testimony to share about what life was like before you adopted the practice and what life is like now that you are in the rhythm. Or, Or maybe you're sitting in the position like I am right now where you're remembering what it was like before you accidentally got a little off of the rhythm and now you are yearning to get restarted, uh, which is kind of where I come to you from today. Or maybe you're in the position where you're feeling the nudge and the tug of the Holy Spirit to put this practice in your life, to adopt this rhythm. And if that's you, then know this, you can start exactly where you are. Maybe you don't have 24 hours right now. Maybe there's a lot of moving parts to your life and it's chaotic and to even get started makes you feel afraid and maybe even a little bit guilty of what you'd have to put down to pick it up. I encourage you to start where you are because you might not have 24 hours, but maybe you have six. And I believe that as we begin to dedicate that time and receive the gift of God's rest and the gift of God's presence, that God will open up avenues and that more and more time will be granted to us as we grow in that practice. Because hear this, Sabbath is not about beating ourselves up for what we can't do or what we're not doing. It's about receiving the gift of a better rhythm of life that God is extending to us. So wherever you are on your Sabbath journey, I leave you with this truth. And this is the truth that is genuinely underpinning the concept of Sabbath. It's the reason that Moses is reminding the people of Israel of Sabbath before they begin doing some very hard and important work. And it's this. Listen closely. Being with God is more important than doing for God. And I'll say that again. Being with God is more important than doing for God. Let's hold on to that, friends. Amen. And let's pray together. Oh, gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath. We thank you for the ways that you come to us and grant us rest. Oh God, I pray for my siblings in Christ who are listening to this podcast, and I pray that you grant them rest this day, that you grant them a rhythm of life that orients them towards you and your goodness and your grace and your presence, oh God. And we thank you for the opportunity and for the gift to rest and be in your presence. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. 